The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, you're listening to the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm very honored to have His Grace Adi Purush Prabhu here on with me. Adi Purush Prabhu is a uh, dear uh, mentor and friend, uh, senior Vaishnava from New York City. And uh, when I was living at, actually it wasn't the Bhakti Center at the time, but uh, when I was living there at the sanctuary um, back when, as in my brahmachari days and uh, adi pushpu was a great person of inspiration for me and um i have him on today to talk about his projects his journey in krishna consciousness thank you so much for joining me prabhu we're honored to be here okay maybe we can start with your um before we get into your different projects that you do and and all that maybe we can start up on your um journey in krishna consciousness where you grew up and and how you got in contact with devotees well where to start in the beginning we offer obeisances to Srila Prabhupada and um <clears throat> even offer a prayer um actually this has become part of my sadhana there's a, a prayer written by great grandfather Bhaktivinoda Thakur mm, let me post that and um where we're going with this is we acknowledge that we have nothing to say except what we've heard from Guru and Shastra. We give them the credit. And then we, our aspiration is that anyone who's listening to this, at the end, if you find yourself saying, how wonderful, how wonderful is Shiva Prabhupada, how wonderful is Krishna, or even directly saying to Krishna, Lord, you're so wonderful. Krishna, you're so wonderful. Can you say that, Namras? How wonderful is Srila Prabhupada? How wonderful is Krishna? Yeah, and even say, Krishna, you're so wonderful. Krishna, you're so wonderful. Yeah, that's where we're going with this. So, you know, we talk about ourselves in the context of the experiences that Krishna has given us. Yes. And how fortunate we are to be sitting in the, in the mercy of the spiritual master. Well, I'm going to, I noticed that your uh, podcasts are wide open. There's such a spectrum of personalities and you're so accommodating, allowing yes. people to say whatever they feel Krishna's giving them to say. <laughs> we want to do this little guru prayer. Oh, I love, oh, so for those of you who don't know, Adi Purushpuru loves to sing these prayers uh, with his guitar and it's so wonderful, uh, he's so um, inspiring with the way he does these prayers in with his guitar. Please, Prabhu. I'm going to do them and let's you and I glorify Krishna together, okay? Let's okay. You and I pray, pray to the spiritual master. When we say, Guru Dev, we're actually, I, I, we have a little, um, Murti of Srila Prabhupada that I take care of. And when I when I say this prayer, yeah. looking at the Murti, I'm it somehow it's practically mystical. I I Murti is there all the time, but when I start to pray, it seems like it in, invokes the presence, Srila Prabhupada's presence. So this is a prayer that Bhakti Thakur wrote to his guru. So we're 
plagiarizing. We're repeating the words of that he offered to his guru and offering it to our guru. Yes. And everybody knows Nam Ras, when he sings, <laughs> you know, the heart opens and he, he has a purifying effect. He, Nam Ras was mentioning that he stayed with us in the uh, Bhakti Vinod ashram. Is that what Yogi Purusha used to call it, the Bhakti Vinod ashram? No, um, the Bhakti Vedanta ashram. Bhakti Vedanta ashram, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was with us for a couple of years. Yeah. Wonderful brahmacharis there, Daoji and Radhabhava, Yogi Purusha, and Om Sham, huh? Om Rishikesh. Om Rishikesh. So many nice devotees there. Now imagine you're in a room with a group of people for like two and a half hours every single day for a couple of years. Every morning, singing, dancing, worshiping, praying, um, listening to scripture together, laughing. We did, it was a very informal. <laughs> it's a wonderful time. But sometimes we would do the Nishringa prayers, and if there was a new devotee there or a visitor, at the end of the Nishringa prayers, everybody would, you remember? Yeah. They'd pounce They'd, and pounce on him. Pounce on him. Everybody go, rah! You know? <laughs> I mean, we were really... But we'll we'll have to sing that Nishingade prayers uh, later also, please. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to do offer the prayer. We're going to pray to Shugo Prabhu. Can you hear that guitar okay? I can hear it, yeah. Guru Day, Guru Day, with a drop of your mercy. Guru Dev, Guru Dev, with a drop of your mercy, make this servant always abide. I like that word abide, it means like hang in there, you know, make this servant always abide. Grant me strength in adversity, cool my soul, it burns with pride. Sing it with me, brother. With a drop of your mercy, make this servant always abide. Grant me strength in adversity. Cool my soul and burns with pride. That's the first little prayer. David Krishna's creation, let me be a vessel of your peace. Chant in the holy name in jubilation, only then will all my offenses cease. Come on, sing with me. Dave. In Krishna creation, let me be a vessel of your peace. Chant in the holy name in jubilation. Only then will all my fancies cease. One more little prayer. Guru Dev, I'm fallen and low. Without your grace, useless am I. 
true love, I soon will die. Go with me every day. I'm falling and low. Without your grace, useless am I. Waves of tears would surely flow. Without your love, I soon would die. Okay, you know this verse by heart, I'm sure. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That's great. So we're just invoking auspiciousness by praying to the spiritual master. We don't have anything to say except what we heard from Guru and Shastra. And Krishna's given us some wonderful experiences. So you're asking about life that Krishna's giving me experiences. I'm from here in New York. All four of my grandparents are from Italy. So my parents were born in this country, and I'm just uh, coming as a second-generation Italian-American New Yorker. We have come from a Catholic background, so I went to Catholic school. Were you born and raised in New York? I was born in the Bronx. Oh, wow. Partly through grammar school, we moved out to Long Island. Mm-hmm the South Shore of Freeport, Long Island. And then I went to high school in Brooklyn and I went to Manhattan College. So I'm here in the heart of the beast for my life before Krishna consciousness. Right. So you said you, you know, went Christian, to Catholic school and then... Catholic school, yeah. So I had a little bit of understanding of godliness by Krishna's grace. There was, you know, Krishna gives you experiences like a flashback where you he helps you remember things that happened in your early life based on experiences we were invited to go speak at a university here in manhattan it's kind of a surprise this man called up adi you're supposed to be here speaking at the university what are you doing where are you get over here i was like i mean i know i didn't i didn't know i didn't know but he told so i went over to the I went over, got on my bicycle, ran over there. It was a room full of Muslim graduate students. I told you this story, right? No. No? A a room full of Muslim graduate students. Right. And um, they all looked like this. Very unhappy. I don't know what happened before. All the girls had the headscarf on. Obviously intelligent, um, kind of high class people but in a really bad mood and so I looked in that room I had to go through security and everything to get into the building and up to the floor and I looked in the room and I was like I'm not going in there (laughs) I don't know what's happening in there looks like somebody just died I just kind of chickened out and when I went to leave the man on the stage was like oh Adi's here Adi 
Come on up on the stage. Come on, here he is. Okay, come on. I was, oh my God. <clears throat> so I went, I went up on the stage. He introduced me. He handed me the microphone. And he said, all right, you have five minutes. <laughs> five minutes. I, what do you say in five minutes? You know? <laughs> oh my God. I don't even know who, 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 are these, who are these people. He said, this is the postgraduate. These are the medical students. These are the law students, the postgraduate, graduate students. Well, you know, I was like, okay. I looked at them. They looked at me. My mind is completely blank, right? So I said, well, I have to tell you, honestly, I have absolutely no idea what to say to you. So they started laughing at me. You know, I look so stupid. The, the, the professors at, N, at the school is... They're, you know, they prepare for 25 years and they know exactly what they're going to say. And here's this fool on the stage with the microphone and he says he doesn't know what to say. So, so I look pretty stupid and they're laughing. So I kind of, I said, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I, I really don't know what to say, but I'm going to make a prayer that God will show me what to say. Right? Seems like a good move, right? Yeah. Like cover my embarrassment. So they responded like this, which kind of shocked me. It was kind of positive, but also shocking. Yes! <laughs> wow. I was, well, that was kind of positive. Uh, we, we, only want to, we only want to say what God wants to say. Yes! I said, <laughs> who are these people? We only want to hear what God wants to say, right? Yes! I said to myself, if I say the wrong thing, these people are going to throw me right out the window. This is a very responsive group of people here. Uh, okay, Christian, save me. I don't know what to say. Um, you were asking about my, this helped me remember my childhood. So I said, well, well, well um, so you guys are obviously involved with higher education. Maybe I could share with you my experience with the, with the educational system. Okay, so I was expelled, and they burst out laughing because expelled is kind of like a electric word in a highly competitive academic atmosphere. I was expelled. And they started laughing from from kindergarten. You asked me about the early days there. Yeah, I was expelled from kindergarten. And they really started laughing after two days, and they were laughing so hard they were like crying and punching each other. It went from like laughing at me to screaming at me to like just outright prolonged laughter, to the point where I had to say, "Can you can, hello? Can, can you hello? Come on, can you calm down? <laughs> I only have four minutes left." Like okay, so um, you go to kindergarten, you go to school, you're a child, you're a student, you're a kid. You don't know anything, right? And the teacher is going to tell you what to do. The school system is designed to like train you up to be a human being in society, right? They're supposed to tell you how the world works, how you interact with the world. So the teacher, teachers have this teacher voice. Okay, children, we're going to play a game. <laughs> the name of the game is musical chairs. You know this game, numbers. Musical chairs? Musical chairs, yes. 25 children, 24 chairs. Teacher plays the piano. Yes. When she stops, everybody fights for the chairs. Now, the, this was kindergarten, so I was living in the Bronx, right? This is in a bad neighborhood in the Bronx. And kindergarten children are like um, barbarians, you know? They don't have very highly developed social graces. So you tell them to fight for the chairs, and it's like a license to kill. The music stops. <laughs> chairs are thrown around. Kids are thrown around. Clothing is ripped, screaming, yelling, punching. It was just like horrible, really horrible. And then 
it happens again, 25, 24, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, music in a fight, music in a fight, music, and it gets more and more and more intense because the more aggressive children are remaining in the fight and the more gentle children are eliminated. So it got down to two children and one chair. And I had actually covered my hands like this on my face. I was a little embarrassed to tell them. I said, no, I'm, I'm 74 years old. So this happened, you know, six and a half decades ago, 67 years ago. Wow. I, can, I can still see the face of the little girl. I pushed out of the way to get the last chair. <laughs> they thought that was hilarious. They were laughing, you know, and the teacher was going, you won, you won. I was thinking, I won what? What What did I win? What are they doing? What did I, I can't believe I just did that. What are they teaching us in the school, right? <laughs> I was like, you know, that was a long time ago and I can still remember what it was like to be a teen, uh, kindergarten student. So the next day, the teacher made her announcement. Okay, we're gonna play musical chairs. You know, I just stood up, I said, wait, <laughs> I can't do this again. <laughs> Let's do something else, you know? Now the poor teacher, she has to keep 25 children busy for five hours. You try that, you have to have a plan and we're gonna do this and it's gonna take 15 minutes and then we're gonna do this. You know, so you tell some kid says, let's not do this. She looks at me like dirt. Uh, kid, get your chair. Everybody get your chair, get your chair. I said, no. She said, get your chair. I said, no. Really loud, you know. So that everybody's looking at us because this kid yelling at the teacher. And then she gets her teacher voice on. Okay, children, this is what we do. When somebody won't do what the teacher says to do, you... Go sit in the corner. Go put your face over there. You don't have to play. Get out of here. I was like, cool. I didn't have to do it. I was sitting over in the corner. Then I hear my friend Robert. I don't want to play this game either. So Robert comes over to the corner and two of us are like, yeah, we don't have to do it. You know. Then we start hearing the other children. We don't want to play this game. We don't want to play this game. We don't want to play this game. The whole class comes over to the corner. And she's going, children, children, wait a minute. I'm the teacher. Come back here. She's like, you know screaming at us and we're all in the corner like cuddled together like a bunch of little baby chicks and uh this is like the third thing that happened between me and that teacher in two days so she just comes over to the corner grabs me by the arm out of the classroom down to the principal's office i called my mother my poor mother and i got it the next day they wouldn't let me back in the building i got thrown out of school in kindergarten you know uh oh your battery's running low um, Richard, battery's running low. Um, also probably your, your audio and your video is not syncing. Like it's audio um, and video is not syncing. It's a little delayed. Oh gosh. I mean, we can hear you perfectly, but it's when you're like, the video is like a little bit behind. The video is behind the audio. Our tech support is here on the scene playing with something, Just pulling out a gizmo, give us a boost. Okay, so anyway, the point is, um, I'm talking to these Muslim students yeah, and uh, telling them that, you know, I got thrown out of school, which they thought was hilarious. And um, Kind of lost my train of thought there. This ties into what it, what it was like being a kid here in the Bronx. So 
I got. I had to go to Catholic school. Oh, it's sinking now. You're 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 perfect now. I, so I had to go to Catholic school. Now right. I remember you're talking about spiritual life. I remember uh, the uh, Catholic nun. I can remember sitting in first grade, and this girl was so sincere and so overjoyed to tell us about God. She told us about Adam and Eve. You know that story. Yeah. And they they disobeyed the guideline that the Lord gave and then they were exiled from the garden and about Noah and about stories like Daniel in the lion's den, how he was protected, you know, even though he was, they um, almost sent him to be executed by lions and the Lord pacified the lions so he wasn't harmed. So there was a lot of godliness that I heard at a very early age. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily the most, um, dedicated like a devotee religious person but i i heard about god right mm -hmm. and then i remember fast forward a little bit i remember being about 12 years old and i had an elder cousin who entered the convent her name was carmel and she took initiation she and so i went to visit her on staten island in this convent beautiful convent and I was shocked to see my cousin, who beautiful girl, with the, you know, what do you call that thing on the headpiece, the veil, like what nuns wear, like what nuns wear, yeah, yeah, the the habit. I was shocked to see her dressed up like a nun, you know, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, what are you doing? I, I said to her, what are you what are you doing? You know, I um, I had some idea of like that there was suffering in the world. You know, you can't live in New York without seeing the fact that there are poor people there, that the civil rights movement was going on. The President uh, was quite moved by that idea and that, that there's inequality, that there's, you know, addicted people and quarrel in the families and it's Kali Yuga. So it's full blown, really madness. Yeah. And so I said to her, what are you, what are you doing in a convent? I mean, if you want to do some good for God, why don't you do like social work, you know? Right. And she was very gentle and humble. And how she explained to me, she said, well, each of us might be called to do different things for the Lord. I'm called to this style of life and this prayer and this um, seclusion, but I, I will also become a teacher and uh, teach people about God. And I believe that that's a good thing. And that's what I feel God is asking me to do. He might be asking you to do something else. So in my life, I became a social worker before I came to Krishna consciousness. When I was an undergraduate, I worked in an orphanage in the South Bronx. Oh, wow. Catholic Charities. They had 300 children living there. And I took care of 15 boys eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, from the time they came home from school till the time they went to bed at night at nine o'clock. <clears throat> so I had six hours a day with 15 boys. And I was going to college full time at the time. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty wild. And these kids, I mean, everybody, all the children have parents somewhere. But the parents are alcoholic or they're in prison or they're in a psychiatric facility or they're heroin addicted or they're abusive or they're, you know, broken broken, broken, 
you know, situations. So a lot of these kids came from very difficult um, backgrounds, difficult experiences. And I was trying to do something positive in their life. And it was really moving. Um, I remember the first day I went into the to that group home and one one of the kids came over and he, he held on to my arm. He said, are you taking care of us? Are you taking care of us? Like that. I can remember, you know, we always feed them dinner and get them teeth brushed and get in their pajamas and tuck them in at night and stuff and, you know, um, keep them from killing each other, literally. Some Put the knife down, you know. <laughs> I mean, really. You know, it was pretty intense. And But I remember, you know, that I my perception, the experience that Krishna gave me there was that children really need, you're a father, you know, they really are grateful to have parents and to have an adult in the room. Because in one level, they understand my senses and mind are out of control. And this other person is helping me, right? Yeah, for sure. I can remember watching television with them. And these are boys, eight years old, nine years old, 10. They're sitting there. One is holding onto my shirt. One is holding onto my back. One is holding my hand. They're like, there. They're not looking at me or talking, but they're, they're, they're holding on to the adult. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's very profound to see how children need that. I was watching one um, video clip. Um, Father Joseph has a young son, and I was over at the church over here, and his son was um, watching this thing on the, on the, on the um, Internet. And they're asking this little girl, how does the cow go? And the little girl goes, moo, moo, moo. How does the horsey go? <laughs> How does the dog go? Woof, woof, woof. How does the cat go? Meow, meow, meow. How does your mother go? No, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but the parents are actually helping the child, you know, when, with the uncontrolled senses, you know. Yeah. I mean, little children, they're like, they're actually like barbarians, you know? Yeah, they are. <laughs> Agreed. 100%. You don't realize it until you're with them, you know? <laughs> so these kids were like that. And I remember they had their perspective on the world. And there was a thing called Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, which was like once a week they had to have a religious class, right? Now, usually they had a nun give that part. And one day there was no nun, and they asked me to give the religious class to these kids, right? So I was thinking, um, uh, what do I know about religion? You know, okay, do unto others. You ever hear that? No. Oh, do unto others. Yeah, yeah. As you would have others do unto you. Yes. Right? I said, I can't lose with that. That's pretty good, you know. So I said <laughs> to them, okay, finish this sentence. Do unto others. Uh, John Christie, what, what do you think? Do unto others and then cut out. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Uh, anybody else? Raphael, what do you think? He goes, do unto others before they do unto you. You know, these are like, you know, ghetto kids, you know, they were like, they came from, you know, do unto others before they do unto you. So it was like, you know, I wouldn't have the philosophy, you know, or the um, faith to actually understand how important it was to instill religious faith in young people at that point. And now, I was studying psychology. So the chairman of the department, Dr. Sumo, uh, he told us, you are studying in a book, schizophrenia, catatonia. He said, these are words. 
and the descriptions. But now while you're undergraduates, you should go and work in the psychiatric facility. Get a job in the lowest capacity, the nurse's aide. So you're on the ward. So you're in there with the patients. So you can look into the eyes and the heart of somebody who's experiencing schizophrenia. So it's not just a word in the book. So my friend Dennis and I, we went to Bellevue Hospital. You know Bellevue Hospital here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now the 150,000 employees at Bellevue Hospital, just to give you an idea of the scale of it, it's a massive complex. They have roads under the street that go from building to building, you know. And since we were college students, see, part of the Bellevue Hospital is the New York NYU Medical Center and the hospital medical. And then part of it is a psychiatric facility. And part of the psychiatric facility is called the psychiatric prison wards. People that have committed some violent, horrible crime that are too crazy to keep in the Manhattan House of Detention for men, too crazy to keep in jail. They send them to the psychiatric prison wards in Bellevue Hospital, right? Right. So they put us (laughs) on the psycho prison ward, you know. Now, you have to imagine this. An L-shaped room, just about the same size as the temple room in the Bakhti Center, right? Right. 70 men in that room. Oh, my gosh. A bed, a bed, a bed, a bed, a bed. Now, not just 70 ordinary people, 70 people with psychiatric problems, 70 criminally insane people in one room. (laughs) You want to talk about being, you know, on the front lines, you know. I mean, there are some things that I saw happen there that I've never told anybody else because it just wouldn't edify anybody to even hear about it. You would just never forget, you know. And I was in there for eight hours a day, locked in that room. There were prison guards and there was the hospital staff. And then there were the patients. The hospital staff called them patients. The prison guards called them inmates. I think I identified more with the inmates than with the hospital staff, with prison guard. But, you know, we had a lot of interactions and listening to their stories and talking to them. And, you know, that was working with the children in the orphanage, working with the psycho prison ward. These are experiences that Krishna gave me, okay? Yeah. yeah. These are experiences that Krishna gave me. I want to make that clear. It's not just Adi did this, Adi did that. Then I got an offer. Um, to work in a therapeutic residential treatment center up in Yonkers for heroin-addicted teenagers coming right in off the street, cold turkey withdrawal and and encounter groups yelling and screaming. And it was like a very, very intense experience, in one sense more intense than the psychiatric prison ward. And then... My next employment I had by Krishna's arrangement, I got an offer to work as a a counselor, heroin addiction counselor. I had a caseload of 110 patients. It's a methadone clinic. Yeah. You know what a Staten Island ferry looks like? Yeah. So they gave us an old Staten Island ferry and we put it on Pier 13 near Christopher Street, 13th Street in in the West Village. We had a thousand heroin addicts a day coming on and off that boat. And that was in the uh, 70, early 70s. Wow. So I was in the orphanage. I was in the psychiatric prison ward. I was in the therapeutic community with uh, heroin addiction teenagers. And then I was a counselor in New York City's methadone maintenance. I mean, I'm telling you, the experiences that Krishna gave me 
of people suffering. Like this was like this was before you became before a, I became a devotee. A devotee. So what was your conception of suffering and the world and well i was thinking you know that a good thing a godly person will do something to help people in suffering and right. help people that are orphans or help people that are heroin addicts you know and with all the training and facility and drugs and you know paperwork and everything i was seeing people suffering and i was thinking none of these programs actually somehow or other are really, really getting to the root of the problem. I can understand that. Oh, it was six years in this social work, you know, including the years in the undergraduate working with the orphanage kid, suffering, I mean, suffering and an attempt to help people that are suffering. So my, my brains were bleached out. I was just really, really, I had to process all these experiences. Wow. And I took a year off work. And um, my old roommate's uncle had a house on an island four miles off the coast. Gosh. Excuse me one second. No problem. And on, we're doing a broadcast right now. I'll talk to you later, okay? All right. Okay. All right, four miles off the coast of where? Off, off the coast of Long Island. Okay. So... I went out there as a caretaker for his house. He was an art dealer and he would travel around the world to Australia and South America, but he'd be gone for like six, seven months at a time. So he had this gorgeous house right on the great South Bay and on the other side of the ocean. And um, I lived there by myself. And I was trying to like process all the experiences that Krishna gave me. And I was praying, I was reading the Bible, and in that house, God bless you, in the bathroom, there was a stack of comic books. So in the course of the first few months there, I'd read all the comic books, but in that stack of comic books, there were two BTG magazines. Wow. <laughs> Which I did not read. <laughs> I read all the comic books, you know. But when I read out, ran out of all the comic books, I opened one of the BTG magazines. And I started to read what Srila Prabhupada had to say and what the devotees had to say. And because I was really seeking the solution to suffering, yeah. the understanding of what the problem is, Krishna gave me access to something of wisdom, right? Yeah. So I also found the perfection of yoga book. He had a massive library in that house. And I found the perfection of yoga. And I read that again and again. I started chanting. Just from reading the book, you started chanting. Yeah. The mantra wow. was in there. I started offering. You know, I was cooking every day, baking bread and offering it to Krishna. I started, of course, I was following the principles. So I've been reading without meeting a devotee for months, right? Yeah, yeah. And at one point it occurred to me, I wonder, I wonder if there's other people doing this, you know? And I looked in the back of the Perfection of Yoga and there was a Brooklyn Temple address. So this was in the winter and there's no way, there's no roads out on that island. Um, if 
Fire Island is like 50 miles long, but only about a couple hundred yards wide. It's like a barrier reef four miles off the coast of Long Island. And it has wonderful, beautiful, pristine white beaches and summer houses out there. But in the winter, nobody's out there. So I was in a town called Oakleyville and we had five houses. I was by myself, really. Yeah. Reading Prabhupada's books. So I wanted to go to the Brooklyn Temple. I had to walk about 25 miles along the beach to the end of the island where there's a bridge at Robert Moses State Park to go to Long Island. Then I hitchhiked into, into I stayed at a friend's house in the Bronx at night. And I called up the temple and they, I said, do you have some people, do you have a, a program? They said, oh, yes, the morning program, four o'clock. <laughs> four o'clock in the morning? Yeah. So I got on the subway at two o'clock in the morning and I went down to, the tem temple was in Henry Street in Brooklyn. Right. You ever in that building? No, no I've building? never been there. Wonderful. Radha Govinda. Was Henry Street before 55th Street? Yes. Okay. So I got out of the subway. I didn't know where the temple was. And I waved down a police car and I said, can you tell me where the Hare Krishna temple is? <laughs> they said, it's four o'clock in the morning. I said, yeah, well, they have this, you know, some kind of teaching program or meditation or something. Now, they said, you want to go to the Hare Krishna temple? I said, yep. They said, all right, get in. The police drove me right to the temple. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. I got to the front door. And a Mataji in a sari with Tilak came out. Oh, I'm going to pull you some time for my Artic. I was like, what'd she say? You know, he said, Haribo, it's time for Mongol Artic. I didn't know what Mongol Artic, I don't know what Haribo went. I never saw anybody in a sari before, you know. And there's all these devotees coming down the stairs. Uh, there were two, at least 200 devotees in that temple room from Mongol Artic at four o'clock in the morning, 1973. Wow. That's how the temples were in the old days. Do you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe in serving God? Yes. Why don't you move in? Okay. <laughs> but you have to be at Mongol Art to get four o'clock. Then there's Java and then there's Kirtan in the class. I was blown away. I got into that room. The lights went out. Everybody offered obeisances. Radha Govinda opened up. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I had no idea. No idea, right? Everybody chanting Japa right up until the big kirtan, smoking kirtan. Vidyananda Maharaj gave class that day. Oh, wow. And it was Japa. They gave me beads. And I was like, this is outrageous that these people come together to do this. And they, and they sing and they chant. And they, you know, I'd been chanting and I thought this is wonderful, wonderful. And then Prashadam. They had rows of devotees sitting on the floor and wagons going up and down serving prasadam. I remember the devotee next to me gave me a globjaman. The devotee behind me gave me a raskul. Goli on the other side gave me a, a ladu. You know, and I was like, what is it? They're giving me food? What? They're, they're, well, they give me the food off their plate. What is this? You know, I couldn't figure it out. But that was the spirit. Here's a new guy. Give him prasadam. Give, give up your ladu. You know, right? Imagine that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, then, after breakfast, what happens? Sankirtan. Huh? Sankirtan? They go out. Yeah. They go out for Harinam. They go out for book distribution. They do a book table. You know, everybody goes out. Everybody. 
They turn off the heat. They turn off the light. They lock the door. <laughs> and you can't come back till five o'clock. And I said to myself, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this going out proselytizing stuff. I like the temple, but I don't want to do this, any of this going out preaching, you know? Yeah. Um, they used to give every devotee, I think, 35 cents because the subway was 35 cents. Barshana Swami told me they would give everybody 35 cents, but they would give me 70 cents because I would be out there for six, seven hours and I wouldn't collect enough to come back unless they gave me it twice as much as everybody. <laughs> they, only, they only gave you one way subway fare to go out usually. But then I felt I, I was visiting some uh, people that I knew in upstate New York. They had a little farm hippie commune. And I saw a VTG with the picture of the cows and the farm and New Vrindavan. And I thought, that I can relate to. I should go visit this place. But but you're but you're a city you were a city boy. Yeah. So you felt like you could relate more with the rural... I didn't want to do the proselytizing. Oh yeah, gotcha. City okay. temple means you go out. Right. Farm means you stay there and wait till people come there and then preach to them. Yes. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> Plus, you know, the countryside, back to the earth, you know. So I I um I hitchhiked in New Vrindavan. I walked across the George Washington Bridge. You know, I had long hair, you know, and I hitchhiked. And um, I didn't even know, I didn't have a map. People would pick me up, I'd say, where are you going? West Virginia. I thought, we'll go west, you know. I didn't really have a plan. I went all the way across Pennsylvania hitchhiking. And the last hitchhike I got, I told him, I go, I want to go to a Hare Krishna farm in West Virginia. So I know where that is. It was late at night. So stay at my house tonight. I'll drive you there tomorrow. It was springtime. It was a huge thunderstorm that night. We were up in his little mountain cabin looking at this thunderstorm. And the next day, he drove me right to New Vrindavan. Right to the farm. Right? Amazing. And I didn't leave. I didn't ever got out to Route 250 for the next four years. <laughs> they brought me up to the Vrindavan farm where Radhana Swami was, Varshana Swami, Chandran Mali Swami, Nityo. You know, I mean, there were 30 brahmacharis living up at that house, yeah. two miles up the hill, away from any Matijis or children or anything, you know. Yeah. And it was a really intense morning program. Everybody was Radhana Swami's sterling influence. Everybody was in that temple room by 2.30 in the morning. That's two hours before normal Mangala Arti. We had to finish your rounds before Mangala Arti, right? <laughs> everybody. And if somebody came at 2.35, everybody would look at him like, what's wrong with you? You're breaking ranks. You're cheapening the standard. This is what we do. Radhanaswami would sit there in one spot and chant 16 rounds. He would used to do this. I don't know what that means, but he wouldn't move. Um, the Brahmacharis are stampeding, walking back and forth, chanting, jumping up and down, chanting, standing in a circle, chanting, hot, hot, chop. You know, it was like really intense. I just remember Marge, he would just sit there in one spot 
didn't open his eyes. For some reason, the temple president of the Brahmacharyam, he felt that every day, right before the curtains opened, somebody should sweep the floor. And you got this little temple room with 30 people running back and forth. And I, my service with a hand broom was to sweep the floor, sweep it away from the altar, you know. Yeah. Everybody would move out of my way. Radha Swami, he was completely oblivious to my existence. You know, he was just deep in the holy name, you know. Yeah. I remember that. And he was very, very wonderful, serious devotee. So I lived at Nirvindavan. I got first probably... When sometimes sometimes I'm tempted to say, I got initiate. I can't, but I can't bear it when I say that. I feel like Shula Prabhupada accepted me as his disciple. I didn't get initiated. Shula Prabhupada kindly, mercilessly, mercifully accepted me as disciple in 1974. Did you did you see him there when he came? Yes. Tell us Actually, about that. I, I had, you know, when I went to New Vrindavan, I thought. Prabhupada will be there and I'll just ever I'll tell him I'll tell him Prabhupada, I want to be your servant and I'll be his servant and I'll be right with him. And everybody else, they probably don't know that the trick is to be the servant and be close to the guru. I didn't know everybody knew that. I didn't know Prabhupada wasn't there, you know, but he came. And Newman Dominic, I don't know really people really understand how expansive it is. Even some devotees came from Atlanta that I met on Sankraton, and they asked me to show them around. We drove within Nuvrindavan for four and a half hours. Wow. You see the temple, you see Prabhupada's palace, you see the lakes. You don't know. I was, you know, taking care of the fences and the cows and the pastures, and there's over this valley and on the next ridge and over this way and down this valley over here. There's so much going, there's so much there. How many acres? What? How many acres is it? Well, it was 5,000 acres. I think um, over the last few years, they've been selling stuff off and stuff. But, you know, it's huge. Miles and miles and miles. And, you know, when you when I work the pastures, you're back in those woods. You don't even know. You can't see anything for, you know. Umbridge told me to fix this fence line. It's a half a mile around this way, two miles across the back over there by the forest, another half a mile around here, and a mile and a half this way and around by this and there fence line that's one pasture you know my gosh so we had a lot of wonderful experiences i got second initiation there we were milking the cows by hand i was working with the oxen for four years there and when Prabhupada came since i was basically useless <laughs> i and Prabhupada's house was the was the best house we had <clears throat> we had just purchased this one house and it was two miles back in the forest away from other things and all kinds of people would you know we had a lot of nice neighbors but we had some real rowdy redneck hillbilly <laughs> people who come through there with a pickup truck shooting shotguns in the air in the middle of the night you know one time a motorcycle gang came and broke into the temple in the middle of the morning program a lot of stories so when probably you, you were there for that oh yeah well i was there right after that but i was there when i'll tell you this other thing about Prabhupada. how yeah. much time do we have uh like for 50 minutes really yeah yeah we got a lot of time this is okay. this is a long so, form podcast yeah the place where Prabhupada was staying was remote but the dirt road was right there and sometimes these people would come through so my service when Prabhupada was there was to stand in front of his house they gave me a shotgun 
and a 38 pistol. <laughs> I was standing in front of Prabhupada's house to guard Prabhupada. Right now, Prabhupada's protecting us. It's ridiculous for me to think of what, you know, and those days, it was 1974. Prabhupada had already been preaching. We had so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of disciples. You didn't actually get to talk to Prabhupada personally too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would preach and he would give class in the temple and, you know, there were darshans, but one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you were just a rank-and-file devotee, uh, maybe a GBC member or a sannyasi or a temple president would actually, you know, be able to actually speak to Prabhupada. You weren't even allowed to, only the temple president in those days was allowed to write to Prabhupada once a week or once a month. You couldn't even write a letter, you know, so Prabhupada was like, you know, up there, you know what I mean? So I'm out front of his house and at about one o'clock in the morning, the light would go on in Prabhupada's bedroom. And then after a while, I'd hear him dictating into the dictaphone because he was translating Srimad Bhagavatam, you know? Yeah. And when I first heard his voice, I thought, oh, Prabhupada's listening to a Prabhupada tape. Oh, no, that's Prabhupada, my God, that's Prabhupada. You know, the window is up high. I wasn't able to, like, look in the window. So I'm standing in front of the house. It started to rain a little bit. So I, the house was on the road, and then there was a driveway going down. And under the house, there was a garage. So I went down, opened up the garage door. Blah, 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 you know, makes noise. And then I was standing, like, inside the garage doing my guard duty. And I didn't know Prabhupada could come down through the house into the garage, right? He had these little corduroy slippers, you know, very quiet, you know. So I'm standing there with my shotgun. And all of a sudden, Prabhupada, oh my God, Prabhupada. <laughs> I go for obeisances. I was like, uh, 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 Prabhupada, how can I serve you? What do you say? I mean, what do you say to Prabhupada? I said, how can I, how can I, how can I serve you? I, could, I was so shocked. You know, here he is right two inches from me. He came to the garage. He came down from the house into the garage. Yeah. Because he heard the noise, I guess. Pretty interesting that he broke up his meditation on Srimad Bhagavatam to come down there. Maybe he's just curious or whatever. <clears throat> so I asked him, how, how can I serve you? And Prabhupada was like a mountain. I saw a video clip. Somebody was trying to fast forward a video clip and there were all these it was in India and all these people were around Prabhupada and when everything's fast forward you see everybody going and Prabhupada was just like this. Yeah. Right. So that I was like and he was like I said Prabhupada how can I serve you? He went like this. You know how he does that smack with a Yeah. You can go where I won't go. Wow. Now, Prabhupada had just flown from Tokyo to San Francisco to Los Angeles to Dallas to Chicago, right? To New Orleans, to New York. He'd come to Pittsburgh, come to New Vrindavan, go back to New York, fly to London, go to India. He was flying all over the world. Now, I had hitchhiked to New Vrindavan, and at that point, I didn't even have two boots that matched. I had a red one and a black one <laughs> tied on with bailing twine. I didn't have any money. I'd lost my ID, right? I didn't really have any desire to go anywhere or any means to go anywhere. He's traveling all the world, all around the world. And he said, you can go where I won't go. 
But I said, uh, probably, where, where would you go? To the future. To the future. <laughs> What's that? You want me to build a time machine? He wants me to go to the future? You know, that was 50 years ago. You know, he says, and how you treat the people there, you show them how Krishna loves them. So I just closed my eyes. I was, I don't know what he's talking about, you know. And when I opened my eyes, he had left. He went back, he just quietly left. You can go where I won't go to the future. And how you treat the people there, you show them how Krishna loves them. Now, this is an instruction for all of us, really. Right. And you're following. You're going where he won't go. You're here talking to this low-life person here, (laughs) trying to squeak out some shred of Krishna consciousness from my pea brain. (laughs) Amazing what you're saying. Here it is 50 years later. And what's my service? I'm here in Thompson Square Park feeding the homeless, right? Wow. Now, I've been, was initiated in 1974. I've been with Prabhupada for 50 years. But for the last 24 years, my service, among other things, is to distribute Krishna's prasadam to the homeless, right? Mm. For 24 years, we haven't missed a day. That is a flat-out Krishna miracle. We've been through a blackout. We've been through Hurricane Sandy. We've been through the 9-11. We went through Y2K. We went through <laughs> the COVID epidemic. You know, we're out there, you know. I mean, it's just so radical, the whole thing of like, I don't know, it's very sweet. You can show some pictures in a minute. Sure. But yeah. the thing is, um, people are getting prashadam. People are smiling. People are give, coming out, volunteering their time. To give prashadam. Okay, you can start to flip through some of those pictures. That's a so what time is this done every day? This is a Muslim student there with what time is what? What time do you serve out this? 9 30 in the morning, Tompkins Square Park. They can call me. You can put up the Instagram. So they can look at the pictures themselves. Flip through some pictures. We'll get a bit, get an idea of this. So that's a <laughs> weird picture. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Prashadam, banana bread. Serve out kitri and banana bread and um, jasmine tea with lemon and salad. And um, a lot of these people you see they're serving are um, guests. Because we're spending $10,000 a month to distribute Krishna's prasadam. So every month I have to raise (laughs) $10,000. Little thing like that, part of it. I put in 15 hours a day, seven days a week to keep this program going. I do the night shift over on, I guess we have guest rooms. Uh um, People are guests. And then we tell them about this. And a lot of them say, oh, I want to do that. I, I want, I'll help. You know, and they come out, they volunteer their time. There's a line of people waiting. This is Angel. He's getting initiated by Radhanath Swami. He's wow. been helping us for about three years now. That's Ananda Bihari's daughter distributing prashadam to the pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> do the same people come every day? Some people come again and again. There's always new people. 
we make what these, these what's these that shirts what are these shirts the shirt says all you need is love mm -hmm. when people come as volunteers we give them one of those shirts it says all you need is love and we tell them even if you can heal the sick even if you can speak with the tongues of men and angels even if you can convert the multitude even if you can raise the dead scripture says if it's done without love it's useless without love for God, just like Patram Pushram Palam offer me something with with love and I will accept it. So um, we tell the people that are volunteers, stir this, load this, this is a salad. Wow. Yeah. Opulent. Yeah. And a lot of people that come out there and they see that we're distributing, they say, you just, you just mean just give this to them? You just give it for free? You just, you just give this to the people, you know? And a lot of our guests say, hey, this is the best food in all of New York City. Because <laughs> wow. people come and stay in the guest program from all over the place. So it's, I, see, I, I see cake and salad. What else, what else is Kitri there? And Kitri, a drink. Okay. and a drink. Amazing. So you've been doing this for 24 years? Yeah. I, you know, I, Prabhupada told me, if you want to please me, serve Kirtanananda. So Radha Swami and I, were, you know, for the first 25 years of working with Nirvindam, he's our authority and we just, he's, but he's the one who asked me, I want you to distribute the prasadam to the homeless. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I want to do college preaching. We're feeding the homeless. I mean, what is, I mean, I, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a vehicle. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't have a cook. I don't have any money. You know, how am I going to? How am I supposed to do that? You know, and that night I was going to take rest, and I was really voicing my anxiety to Krishna. Mm -hmm. And Krishna seemed to say to me, "Don't be ridiculous. I'm floating the planets in space. I can support a band distributing prasadam to a couple hundred people. It's no big deal." Krishna seemed to be telling me that. You know. And then the next day I went down to the restaurant. You see this little girl here? Oh, back. Yeah. Her name is Madison. She's five years old. She's about two feet tall, little Korean girl. Her father would come out and help and volunteer. And one day he said to me, can I bring my daughter? I said, of course, but don't just bring her. Explain to her what we're doing explain to her why we're doing and invite her to come and see if she chooses to come. So she came out and she was distributing prasadam and she came out again and I uh, got a little mischievous and I said, uh, Hey Madison, why do you come out here? How old are your kids? Uh, four and two. Think you can bring them out. We've had kids that age come out. They, they get it. You know, somehow or other they just, we tell the children service. Sometimes yeah. they don't have that word in their vocabulary. But when they see they can give something to somebody, they just scamper all over the place. So I said to Madison, why do you come out here? And she looked at me. We're trying to show people that God loves them. <laughs> Five years old, right? Oh, my gosh. I, she was trying to convince me. We're trying to show people. She was explaining it to me. We're yeah. trying to show people that God loves them. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Huh? 
Amazing. Yeah, it's sweet. So Krishna gives intelligence, and the people love seeing the children serving. Oh, they it just knocks them out, you know? Yeah. And you'd think maybe something like this would be, you know, depressing or something like that, but it's actually extremely sweet. Lots of love going on. There's Madison again. And so this this program is supported by your um, guest rooms, your guest rooms that you have in New York City, in Manhattan. Amazing. And also, probably some of this uh, boga like donated by, um, like Trader Joe. I know when I was living in the ashram, Trader Joe doesn't donate anymore to us. They City Harvest took over everything. What City Harvest? It's kind of like a they've turned charity into a business you know and they they have these big trucks and they, we get everything you know oh, it's okay God. i we still go of course we're, the do one of the duties of the brahmins is to ask people for donations yeah go back one space there this little girl here her father works for the executive general of the united nations in geneva switzerland and that blonde lady behind there she's a guest from the guest program coming out to help Wow. And that guy with the mask on, that's her brother. <laughs> He's all, his, her, his father is also works with the. So um, just, the, so just random people who come as guests to this, um, the guest house that you have, you yeah, tell them everywhere. they just, you know, 80 million people came to visit New York city last year. Wow. Now in Mayapur, it says here, your remote desktop service session ended because the remote computer didn't receive i think it's okay we're still okay? we still hear you and everything so we're good okay yeah people come from all over the place they come to visit and you see that girl she's a guest yeah serving she's completely lit up you know by devotional service right krishna krishna gives them his love flowing through them and they just remarkable Well, in Mayapur, Prabhupada made a temple in a guest house. Yes. In Juhu, he made a temple in a guest house. In Vrindavan, he made a temple in a guest house. Right? Yeah. Now, here we are in New York. Probably the most inhospitable place for devotees. <laughs> It'd be easier to colonize Mars than it would be devoted for devotees to live in the East Village, right? Yeah. But there's no guest house. So Krishna showed me that this is one possible way that we can serve. And I read one of one of the Vyas Pujhamans. Can is can they see those pictures? Because there's a big thing in front of them. Yeah, they can see it. When you look at six pictures at once, you can't see very much. Okay. When you look at one at a time, they might right. actually be able to see some detail. Right. Oh, I know him. Just click on any one of them and then the Thing comes up right right one thing is i can't see i can't see the pictures so i can't say anything about them you can't see the pictures no there's a there's a a, a square in front of it can you close that square i think that's maybe the alert that you were just reading out earlier let me see if i can i'm gonna try
Yeah. Okay. And people come and they're getting the mercy. One manager person from ISKCON came and he saw the big line of people and he said, Prabhu, how many of these people were benefiting? Mm. I said, well, well uh, uh, they're all benefiting. They're getting Krishna's mercy. Prashadam is beneficial. I mean, you know, they're not paying anything. They're not doing any service. I said, well, look at the other side of the table. I mean, there are people there who have come to Krishna consciousness by coming out as volunteers to serve Krishna Prashadam and then started coming to the morning program and have moved in. We have, there must be four or five people that have moved into the Brooklyn Temple this year from the ranks of the people working for the guest program with the Prashad distribution. And anyway, wow. the people on the other side of the table, they're getting Krishna's mercy and you see them becoming purified. And of course, over the course of years, we've seen people going from a condition of being homeless and dysfunctional and depressed or, you know, addicted. We had one girl came to me um, and she said, you know, I was living in that park. Everybody I knew was smoking something, shooting something, drinking something, snorting something, popping pills. You know, everybody was intoxicated. I was living in a cloud. Yeah. And then one day I found myself over by that table and somebody handed me a plate. And I was so covered over, I couldn't even see the face of who was on the other side of the table. But I heard them say, this is for you. Nandavihari's daughter is serving. Go back. That's Nandavihari's daughter. Right. Serving. She's in many of the pictures. She, she seems like she has a taste for serving. Just jumps in and does service. When, when these kids come out there, they just, you know, run faster and jump higher. They really take to it. It's, it's so wonderful. Yeah. So she said, you, I, I couldn't you, even see the face of the person on the other side. She said, but you know what? I felt my impression was, it was like a, I don't know. I felt like somebody's reaching into this cloud that I'm living in. And they know I'm in here. And they're reaching out to me. She said, it was like an epiphany. She said, now I've been sober for three months and I'm going to 12-step program and I'm I'm uh, getting into spiritual life, you know, but that plate of prashadam, that was a breakthrough for me. We just had one guest from uh, Vermont. She was, she's been coming and staying with us every year for a few days or a week. Um, she has a restaurant. Actually, she first started staying with us when she was an NYU student, but now she has a restaurant in Vermont. And she brought her boyfriend with her this last time. And then they went back to Vermont and the boyfriend called me up. He said, you know, I was a heroin addict. And so I go to these Narcotics Anonymous meetings. And, um, there's a guy in my meeting. I shared in the meeting that I was at Tompkins Square Park. And I was, you were there with Adi. You were getting the food. You were getting the Krishna food. Oh, I used to go there when I was strung out. Oh, I've been sobered for 10 years. But that helped me so much when I used to go there and get that. See, you have to see how prashadam works over the course of time. Yeah. We have yeah. people who have um, uh, gone from being unemployed and homeless to the point of, you know, becoming operational again, you know. And um, prashadam is helpful. So it's not that they're, they're not benefiting. First of all, they're just getting Krishna's mercy, which is, you know, you can't even measure 
Yeah. You have to have a little faith in prashadam. Jayananda used to say, prashadam. <laughs> you get them some prashadam. Prabhupada would say, give them prashad. Give them prashad. Right? Radhanaswami won't get in the car when they're driving him someplace unless they have some prashad in the car. They hand out to if they stop at a street light and somebody's begging. He won't get in the car. If you don't have prashadam, I'm not getting in. You know? Wow. We always carry something around with us too. And there are a lot of stories about I was coming from the Bhakti Center and I was going to the um, guest program on 3rd Street and there was this homeless guy, dirty, I mean, barefoot, black feet, dirty, matted hair, filthy clothes, and he was screaming and yelling, his whole mind so agitated, you know, and I just... I was on my bicycle. I went way around him because he was so agitated, you know. And I got over to Third Street and I was putting out the breakfast for the guest program. And I felt like Krishna was saying, what about that guy? I was like, well, I prayed for him. <laughs> I'm not going within 10 yards of that guy, you know. I said, okay, 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 Krishna. Uh, we had these um, from the donut plant. You ever see those cake donuts? Yeah. The little one's a triple chocolate. I got a triple chocolate cake donut and I put it in a napkin and I went up back over to the corner. At that point, he was throwing a chair out in the middle of First Avenue and people were crossing the street to get away from him, you know. And I was coming closer to him and I was thinking, I'll just throw the donut at him. <laughs> I just throw it at him. You know, I, I got a little creep, a little closer. He was screaming and yelling. He was so caught up in his agitated mind. He couldn't even see me. I got really close. I said, sir, this is, this is for you. And he stopped screaming and he looked at that donut and he said, thank, thank you. Thank you. And he took the donut and went and sat down and taken Prashad. Wow. You know, the people that you can't be reached, you know, I mean, myself, I crawled out from under a rock in this life, figuratively speaking. Maybe literally. <laughs> David Ritaswami tells us some people that come into the human life from being in a dog body or a cow body or a monkey body before human. So they're coming up from the animal species. Some people come into the human body from the demigod level. Like the Japanese, they say they're descended from the sun god. The Chinese, we spent a lot of time... Um, doing Sankraton, collecting donations in uh, the specific rim in Asia, in Taiwan, Kaohsiung, Korea. And uh, you realize when he's talking to these people again and again and again, I spent six years collecting donations for the Bhakti Center in a city called Kaohsiung. Really? Every single avenue, every single street, every single alley, every single crack, crevice, every door, every floor, every body in the whole city, six years. I spoke to 350,000 people, one at a time, collecting donations to get the Bhakti Center building, right? Wow. And you get exposure to a culture that's on a higher level than what we have here in the West. You know, there's more subtle distinctions in their vocabulary. They're um, refined. You know, we're just definitely, you know, like I said, crawled out from under a rock compared to some of these people. And they're yeah. very, very sweet and very intelligent. And um, 
Yeah. Probably. Stepping stepping back a little bit, um, you were in New Vrindavan for, you said, four years in the Brahmachari Ashram. And then uh, were you and there? And I was asked to do Sankraton, collecting donations. Oh, so you were sent out. Because to... I, I went there to avoid going out. Yeah. And then for the next 25 years, I was going out. <laughs> wow. Krishna is so clever. <laughs> and I was not, you know, really that enthusiastic about that service. But I saw devotees. I was just talking to Dasarat this morning, one of my all-time devotee hero people, um, Bhima, Dasarat, um, uh, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswat, Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj. Um, I, I saw them talking to people, uh, Chedi Raj. I saw the people laughing and smiling and giving donations and thanking the devotee. You know, such a beautiful thing. And I thought, well, those guys, I've seen people do it in an inappropriate way, but these guys are really doing a wonderful service and they're really happy and satisfied doing this service. But I could never do it. I could never. But gradually, Krishna, shall we, you know, step by step, because it was my prescribed duty. If it wasn't my prescribed duty, I wouldn't have done it and I wouldn't have stayed with it until we finished the learning club. Or you never really finish, you're always getting better. I'll give you an example. Sure. When I came back from being overseas, back to New York, I started doing Sankraton again here in New York City. So there are two baseball teams here in New York. So every day there's a baseball game. Yeah. And people come and they park. Choop, 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 choop. They park. And you stop and talk to each person when they come in. Right? And basically, you may I speak to you for a moment, and then you tell them what you're doing, and then you ask them for a donation. In other words, within 30 seconds, you say, devotional service, what do you think? Right? Yeah. Now, as soon as you ask for a donation, people look at you. At least one tiny glance, they look at you. And they want to know, do you really care about me or you just want money? Are you exploiting me? Are you telling the truth? Do you really believe that Prabhupada is telling you what's real? Do you really believe in devotional service yourself? You know, people look at you. If you want them to reach in their pocket and take out their money and hand it to you, right? You have to start looking at yourself. Why am I out here? Do I really care about these people? course i'm out here under the instruction of the spiritual master but it's natural to care for them and they sense that and you get to the point where like 95 or 99 percent of the people that you talk to are giving a donation but there's a dynamic it's like when you take a hand grenade and you throw it over the wall right and then you you know, you don't know when you have to ask that well, how they're going to respond, you know, but all kinds of stuff comes out. Some people say, okay. And some people ask a few questions and some people really play hardball with you and they ask questions. So this is a classic example. Yankee Stadium. Krishna, 
baseball game. Cars are coming in. I'm out there for several hours during the incoming car. It's a second inning. So the game has already started, right? Yeah. Cars are still coming in. This guy comes in a great big SUV. Great big guy, like a linebacker for the Green Bay Packers or something. Huge guy. And he's kind of disturbed. He's listening to the game on the radio. He's late for the baseball game. Maybe his friends are in there. So I go, sir, may I talk to you for a minute? You know, what do you want? What are you doing out here? I was like, okay, forget it. This guy is one. I, uh, I turned away. I was really tired. I was thinking I just have enough strength to talk to one more person. And then this guy screams at me. So I just turned around and started to walk away. He asked a question. You realize that? Yeah, he asked a question. Yeah. What are you doing out here? What do you want? <sighs> I turned back. I said, sir, you, um, you asked me um, what we're doing. Will you allow me to answer that question? So he's running, scrambling, getting his stuff together to get out of the car. He's huffing and puffing. He goes, well, what? Well, all right. Well, what, what are you doing? I said, well, um, we have a, we're feeding some of the homeless people in the street on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. That's one level, what we're doing. At another level, we're inviting people to come and help to do the meal distribution. It's a service to God. So we're trying to give people a chance to do service to God. And, the, and that, that's another level. People are benefiting by serving. People yeah. are benefiting by getting this food. And people are benefiting by serving. And then on another level, here we are out here. You see all these cars stretching out to the horizon. I spoke to every single car. And we tell them what we're doing. And we ask them to give a donation. You see those kids over there, those, those two kids with the pickup truck, the 220-something smoking cigars. I approached them. And I said, gentlemen, you know, we told them what we're doing. We asked them to give a donation. They went, buddy, we just spent 25 bucks to park the car. <laughs> it costs $60 a piece for a ticket to go at the Yankee Stadium to sit in the cheap seats up in peanut heaven. Every cup of beer we buy in there is going to cost $6. These cigars we're smoking cost two bucks each. And after this, we're going to the nudie bar for the naked dance and we're going to spend money there. And you want us to give you money. So I said to them, well, this is a little different. This is the best money you could spend all day. And this will come back to you in a wonderful way. This is good for you. This is in the service of God. And they gave a donation. So at first they were put off by the idea of giving something, but we spoke to them for a minute and then they gave a donation. So this big guy goes, Oh, well, Oh, pulls his wallet out. He has a $5 bill and three singles in the wallet. Grabs old $8, shoves it over toward me, pulls it back, puts it back in the wallet, puts his wallet back in his back pocket, reaches into his shirt pocket, pulls out a $100 bill. He says, I'm, I'm giving this to you with both hands. And I'm sorry I spoke harshly to you. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to do this. And God's wow. name. You know, that's the dynamic. <clears throat> yeah. What's their first response? Their doubt, your faith, you're standing there toe to toe, right? You know why you're there. You know this is good for them. You're trying to give them a chance. I feel like I feel like the most human thing 
is to to do is to help someone in need like from real the real basic kind of needs of some of, of a human person may have is like food right so to help someone in that way is especially we using prashadam is like such a um kind of like a very ground zero Krishna's like, love. grassroots thing you can do just to help like the people in your in your just uh, general area what would you can say respond, to someone who respond to that yeah please that man in that big suv needed it as badly as that homeless people in the street everybody needs devotional service whether they live in a penthouse or a cardboard box yeah that's krishna's love coming to them at every strata right another guy again very fancy car one of those you know forty-five thousand dollar mercedes benz pulls into the mets stadium parking lot i said sir may i speak to you for a moment what what is it what do you i said well you know we're we're, we're taking care of feeding the homeless people in the street and we're asking if you give a donation the hand grenade going over it <laughs> he says i have no idea who you are i have no idea what you do with this money i hope opened up my shoulder bag and i said we put it right in here <laughs> see all this money <laughs> he laughed i said you know now listen to me <clears throat> now when you go before you approach people before you approach every single person we we follow Prabhupada's footsteps and we say lord i have no qualification to speak to this person i'm here on your behalf show me what to say let me dance as you like so what came out of my mouth for that guy with the mercedes when he said i don't know i have, I have no idea i may never see you again in my life and Krishna gave me this to say, which surprised me because Krishna gives you things to say. I said, sir, at the time of death, I'll be there to say he gave a donation. And the keys to your Mercedes will do you no good at that point. Wow. That's a grenade. I know. That was after the grenade. Exactly. <laughs> That's what the response to this, the explosion that comes from them. So the, there were three guys coming out of the car next to him. And when they heard that, they all gave donations. And then the guy with the Mercedes gave the donation. But wow. when you can only swim, you learn to swim in the water. When you're out there and you're approaching people and you, you're reaching out to them and you're totally vulnerable. Now, I was in Kaohsiung and everything is in Chinese, right? And we went to every single door, every single office, every single house, every single store, every street, every alley, every crack, every crevice. So I went in this one door. I didn't know it was the immigration police. <laughs> I went into the office of the immigration police chief, right? And he's got this big desk and then there was this little desk. So I went to the guy at the little desk first. And I said, we're, we're distributing Krishna's prasadam and we're building a temple in New York City and we're asking if you'll give a donation. And he said, I don't want to talk to you. But my boss, he wants to talk to you. <laughs> He's the chief of the immigration police. Laban! And so he points to me to, this is my introduction to the chief of immigration police, you know. His subordinate points me to them. So I walked over to the big desk and I said, may I speak to you for a moment? He goes, yes. What are you doing? I said, we're distributing Krishna's prasadam and we're building a temple in New York City. And we're asking if you'll give a donation. He said, yesterday... I put somebody, hold on a minute. He dials his phone. These two police officers come to the front door of the office, a glass door. 
and they're dangling the handcuffs <laughs> outside the door. And he, he tells him to wait a minute. He says, just yesterday, I had somebody arrested for doing just what you're doing. Think, what do you think you're doing? Come to my country, asking my people for money. What do you think you're doing here? You can't do this. What did he, what mistake did he make, Amras? His, his country. He asked a question. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, he has a question. What do you think you can do this? What do you think you're doing? Right? <laughs> so I laugh inside when they ask a question. Yeah. I said, Sir, will you allow me to answer that question? <laughs> then they realize they asked a question, right? Oh, I love it. So he's thinking, go ahead. After you speak, I'm going to cut your throat. You know, he looked and he goes, yeah, let's see what you have to say. I said, now listen carefully. I'll tell you what. I Now, I, I've done Sankraton in the United States, which is basically a Judeo-Christian culture. Right. So a lot of people, they imbibe biblical things from their mother's knees, so to speak. Now, this is a Buddhist country, right? I just happened to have a by Krishna's arrangement, Dhammapod in my shoulder bag. I pull out the Dhammapod. I say, you see this book? This is one of the Buddhist, Buddhist, Buddhist sutras. I said, yes. I opened the book. Now, Evangel had translated all the different shlokas in there into English, right? What shloka did I open up to in the book? I said, do you believe this book? He said, yes. I look at the verse. The verse says, Better to eat a red-hot molten iron ball than to misuse the alms collected in the name of the Dharma. Right? Wow. That's a cool verse, isn't it? Yeah. Better to eat a red-hot molten iron ball, you know, than to misuse the alms, the donations given in the name of the Dharma. I said, do you believe this? He looks at it, he goes, yes. I said, do I look so stupid that I would misuse, that I would eat a red-hot iron ball? I said, it's not easy for me to come away from my family, away from my friends, away from my country, halfway around the world, to a foreign country where I don't really speak the language. But my master wants me to go to everyone. He wants me to understand that you are as much my brother as the, mother, as the one who has my same mother that I do. He wants me to understand that and care for you and care about you and talk to you and show you God's love. And not only that, <clears throat> when you give a donation or anybody gives a donation, they benefit. That will come back to them in a wonderful way, beyond their dreams, because we're not misusing what we're collecting. I said, I collect a lot of money, but we don't use it for ourselves. We could, I have very simple clothing, I have a very simple place to live and sleep on the floor. I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat anything but vegetables. And we collect the money, then we give it back to society in the form of temples, in the form of literature, in the form of <clears throat> benefiting the poor. Mm -hmm. So we collect it and we give it back. We don't take it for ourselves. And my guru, my master, he wants me to come become humble because he knows I'm puffed up. 
I'm very proud. And to come as a beggar is something very humbling. And so we humbly ask you to give a donation. He was like, folded his arms. Pulled out his wallet. He said, I'm giving you a donation. I'm giving you $200. And thank you very much for coming here to benefit the people in our country. And I'm giving you another $200 for my stupid assistant who didn't even give you the benefit to listen to what you had to say. Wow. He will benefit also. And then he went like this to the guys with the handcuffs outside the door. Like, that's Amazing. Oh, glorious Prabhupada. Thank you very much. So this is like, you know, Brahmachari, right? Brahmachari. Lives in the house of the spiritual master only for the sake of the spiritual master's mission. Should go out morning and evening, collect alms for his guru's mission. Right? Right. Why do they go out to collect alms? To get money? No. To learn to have the courage and the faith to approach people with humility and confidence to benefit the people because if you don't think that those people will benefit, you don't have any business going out there collecting donation. Right. 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 Now, this is something I didn't That's understand, but Krishna sent me out to do Sankraton, which was my service for decades. And even now I ask people for donations. We're gonna I'm gonna ask you right now for a donation. Um, Ras Prabhu, would you like to give a donation for Krishna's Prashad distribution for the homeless? Definitely. See that? I'd love to. Don't thank me. How can I Don't do it? You. But how can you I do look it? at the Instagram. There's a web there's a way to PayPal and connect like that. But the thing is, if you desire to do it, Krishna will show you. And it's not a it's not a bad thing. In this in our movement, we're a little shy about that these days. Mm -hmm. Oh, we got a bad name for collecting donations in the airport with flowers and books, you know. Right. No. If anybody who's ever done that as a book distributor, as a donation collector, they know. You talk to 100 people and the people are grateful that you're reaching out to them. And you get a few weirdos that respond inappropriately, but they're stupid. And you got to expect not everybody's going to be capable of understanding, but we're trying explain it to them and that's the point until you bring up the subject of devotional service and they ask a question they don't have any questions before that yeah that's good that's the um the donate link yeah onto the least if you want to get if you want to get to that link you can go to the instagram and then there's a link there but if you want uh, when this airs i'll actually put it in the comments so it's clickable but uh, if you want to donate to adipurush prabhu's uh project it's not my project <laughs> I mean, you know, I, it's like a knife in my heart. This is no, Krishna, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Krishna's Prashad distribution. Krishna's Prashad distribution. Then please donate here. And I, I will love to donate. I'll donate um, right after we finish recording this. Yeah, good. And it'll, good, it'll come back to you. I believe that. It'll come back to you in a wonderful yeah. way beyond your dreams. I want to, I want to elaborate on something that you said. You said that you have no business, um, approaching people for donations if you don't think that it will like your main thing is not benefiting them right 
Can you elaborate as on that? As soon as you get a little really... fruitive, as soon as you start right. thinking, my, my score, my money, I'm going to, I'm going to be getting praise for doing, as soon as you think grossly or subtly that it's for you, it's spoiled. Pour a little gasoline in a cake mix. Forget it. It's not the same. Yeah. Right? It's a sacrifice to Vishnu. What are the what are the duties of the Brahmin? Charity. Six duties. What are they? Um to teach the I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll yeah. Help you. First duty is to study the Shastra. Right. Which you have done. The second thing is to teach what you've studied. And you are doing that logarithmically, amazingly. People are astounded at, at the quality. I remember when when you were in the uh, Brahmachari Ashram in Radhamuralidas Temple for two years with us, several hours every morning. And then when you moved out, a lot of nice devotees there, I think we already said this, but I'll say it again. At breakfast that morning, people said, Nam Ras isn't here. Why should we even bother to have a morning program? Maybe we should just all stay in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that. Oh, well, you heard it now. Well, And everybody else heard it too, because you have an impact on people. So the first duty is to study the scripture, and then is to preach what you've heard. Yeah. The third duty is to engage in worship. To build temples and worship deities. And the fourth one is to invite include other people, train them to have that experience and that discipline of worship and to experience what it's like to worship. So we study and teach, we worship and we bring other people into worship. And then there's the last two duties, duties of the Brahmin. The Brahmin is meant to go out and to interface and to interact with the populace. And Request, encourage them, inspire them to give a donation. That's a duty. Inspire them, request, encourage them to give a donation. Then they benefit from all your sadhana and everything you use the Lakshmi for. Right. It will come back to them. All those 350,000 people that I talked to and gave don that gave donation through me for the Bhakti Center, they're still benefiting today because the worship is going on preaching is going on they're still benefiting mm. it's unbelievable how what benefit krishna give krishna is so wonderful can you say how wonderful is krishna how wonderful is krishna yeah krishna is so wonderful that he blesses people and that he allows us to carry his blessings to them in the form of prashadam or in the form of the performing arts or the graphic arts to illustrating the pr principles of revealed scripture or in the form of literature or in the form of an opportunity to give a donation. And I've personally seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people give a donation and say, thank you very much after they gave the donation. And like I said, in the movement, there's a little bit of a, well, you know, you know, we shouldn't do that because we should do something a little more low profile because, you know, the, the government, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't like it and, and something happened at New Vrindavan and, you know, then, you know, for God's sake, there's, there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. And, you know, I believe I'm ready to, to stand before anybody who spoke to me before and gave a donation and say, here I am. Here's where I live. 
follow me around all day right. and see what I'm doing with my time mm -hmm. and my energy by Krishna's grace, by Prabhupada's grace. Mm -hmm. well, so we made that little prayer to Srila Prabhupada in the beginning of the class. I believe all the stuff that's coming out, it's not stuff I have to say. <laughs> I don't have anything to say, but this is stuff that um, Prabhupada Krishna's giving me to say. Yeah. I want to end with two things, Prabhu. One is I have a question, and then secondly, I want to I want to leave some time for singing, um, for hearing you. Uh, but the question is that for for people listening to this, if they want to start in their own area a prashadam distribution program like you're doing for have been talk doing to me, I'll help them. Twenty four years. How how would like besides talking to you, what would kind of be the first step? Chant the holy name. <laughs> Listen to Prabhupada's voice. How much time do we have left? Uh, about 10 minutes. Prabhupada's voice. You can hear, you can hear Prabhupada saying, give them prashad. Can you hear that? You've heard uh, that before? Give them prashad. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. I had an experience once hearing Prabhupada's voice. It was quite mystical. I don't know if you'll believe this. I don't know if it was my imagination or just my memory or actually, I believe I actually heard his voice. We were going to do a preach, preaching program. <clears throat> and we drove up, another Jordi and myself, in the van. And these, this house that we were preaching at, it was a big house, and they had a big front lawn. And they had all these people out in front chanting, Kirtan, Krishna, Hare Krishna. Amazing, really wonderful. So the other devotee got out of the vehicle with these Gorni Thai deities. I told you this story, right? walks up the sidewalk to the front house. Everybody's chanting. And the lady of the house goes, and somebody brings out a big chair. So the devotee with the deity sits down in the chair. Then the lady goes, and her kids come out. And they have a big silver bowl and a pitcher and a towel over the arm. And the devotee realizes they're going to wash the feet, right? I had the privilege of washing Radhanath Swami's feet when he first came into the Bhakti Center. It's a way of really, you know, receiving a, an honored guest, you know, right. humbly washing the feet, right? So the devotee jumps up from the chair with the deities, goes running back to the van. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Jumps in the van, closes the door, locks the door and pulls the curtain. And the kirtan stops. And I'm standing there. Oh, my God. Then this lady looks at me and goes, Adi. She points to the chair. <laughs> so, of course, I was thinking, I'm going back to the van, too, you know. Right. I heard Prabhupada's voice. He said, you accept this on my behalf. It was very stern. You accept this on my behalf. I sat down in the chair, and this beautiful Indian lady with a jasmine flowers in her hair and a gold filigree sari. She kneels down on the ground in front of me while I'm sitting in the chair. She takes off my socks. She starts washing my feet with warm milk in front of and the kirtan starts up. <laughs> and, the, and then she starts drinking the milk as it's coming off my feet. And I'm like, oh, Krishna. <laughs> I was just thinking, okay, this is on profit. So I went back and I went back to Nivernavan and I told Kirtananda what happened. He said, see, if we reject it thinking it's for me, or if we accept it thinking it's for me, it's the same damn thing. 
it's not for you, right? Yeah. Right? When I praise you, you say, oh, glory to Radha Swami, right? Yeah. When somebody prays me, I say, glory to Prabhupada. When you go to the bank and you go to give $100, to, oh, no, I cannot take it. It's not for you, stupid. You're supposed to put it in the drawer. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous, you know. So we're, we're going to do good things, and people are going to appreciate it. They're going to praise us, but we mu- must say, oh, glory to Prabhupada, and we must accept it. We must go out and ask for donations. And it's for our purification. We become purified. The people benefit. And Lakshmi comes in. Lakshmi loves to run and jump in Krishna's arms. Right? Yeah. Doesn't she? Yes. All right. Amazing. Thank you, Prabhu. Did I answer your question or did I get off track there? No, no, you did. You did. Um, And if you want to get in touch with um, Adi Purush Prabhu, I'm going to put your email up there also. Put my phone number too. I answer my phone day and night, 24-7. Right. Give me a second here. Uh, Prabhu, maybe you can get ready to um, sing something. Music? All right. Yeah. So there's his email there on the bottom there for audio listeners is adi108ny at yahoo.com. So Adi Burj Prabhu also, uh, like I said, wonderful um, singing of English, uh, of songs in English. And I'd love to hear that. Maybe we can start with uh, Jairada Madhava. Okay. You know, uh, that prayer that we sang was written by Srila Bhakti Nautakur. Yes. This is a guitar somebody gifted me. I'm not going. Sounds good. Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari. Oh, I can't really get this. This is really an adjustment here sitting on this soft thing. I'm not sure if I can do this. This is a Woods and groves, Krishna and Radha unite to taste the joy of spiritual love. All glories to His holy sight. Within Vrindavan woods and groves, Krishna and Radha unite. Taste the joy of spiritual love. All glories to His holy sight. Krishna's beauty thrills the soul. To 
feeding even Cupid's dart. The boy who lifted Govardhan has went away. Gopi's heart. Jasoda Mata's darling son. Jamuna River's pride and joy. The treasure of old devotees. All glories to this coward boy. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Beautiful. Wow, I haven't heard that in a really long time. I love it. And also, please, Nishingadev, Nishingadev prayers. Oh, no. <laughs> you remember the words? Not all of them. I, I just want to hear you. All glory to Shringadev. Lord finds joy in you alone. Lord finds joy in you alone. You kill, you run, because you Your nails like chisels cut in stone. Shringadev. Shringadev. Let me hear you. Refuge. 
May we surrender unto you. And this is the part where all the brahmacharis jump jump on one person and pretend they're running. Especially when he doesn't know it's coming. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> oh, I find it so sweet to sing. The and song when we're leading up to it, people would be looking at each other like eyeballing that guy, yeah, that guy. That's that guy, guy, yeah, we're going to get that guy. Oh, my God, amazing. Some people are just out-and-out out guests, right? <laughs> They've never been to a temple before, and all of a sudden, five or six brahmacharis jump on them and start, ah, ah, ah. Oh, my God. Well, Adipush Prabhu, it has been fantastic hearing about your, your story, your journey. I didn't even know all the things that you told me about how you, you know, came to New York, you know, originally started in New York, but then ended up in New York again. Uh, and your amazing project. I know not your project, but Chilla Prabhupada's instruction to you. And uh, hearing you sing again after so many years, it's just so, it brings back so many wonderful memories. Prabhupada says, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> Not everybody responds to what we have to say the same way you do. Right. Like. But um, if you want to get in touch with Adi Purush Prabhu again, please. Uh, well, you can put you my know. phone number in there too. You know, you'll be. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll put that in the chat when mm -hmm. this airs. Uh, but uh, you can contact him there. Thank you again, Prabhu, for, for joining me. Hare Krishna. I'll go to Prabhupada. I'll go to Prabhupada. Thank you. Prabhu, please stay on. I'm just going to turn off the recording.